Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever part of the world you are tuned in from. This is Funny Like Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth, out of G Vegas, that's Gardner, a little town outside of Boston. This is episode 58, April 26, 2020. As always, Final Clown Podcast brought to you by G Vegas Buffalo Sauce for the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time. There's only one G Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. Get yourself some buffalo sauce. Fight the coronavirus. It won't cure you from the coronavirus, but it might make you feel better while you're dealing with it. Uh, we discuss comedians, and you got uh, good comedians, you got great comedians, and then you got the legends. And this guy's part of the legend category, Rodney Dangerfield. And to do that, I have on local musician Sean Fullerton. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Dennis. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for being on, man. What's uh, what's going on with you in the music world right off the bat? Well, you know, just like a lot of the musicians in the area, a lot of our uh, shows have been canceled, postponed because of the uh, the Rona. So, right. uh, you know, just doing some Facebook Live events, uh, about a half hour, forty five minutes on my uh, page every uh, Wednesday and Saturday at uh, one o'clock, and uh, you know, been getting some good response. It's helping people through this, and uh, you know, sort of breaking the boredom. All right, and in addition to that, you're doing my podcast, and you wanted to talk about Rodney Dangerfield. What made you choose him? Uh, you know, I, I've been a huge fan of stand-up comedy since I was about 12, 13 years old. It started with Bill Cosby, uh, went on to Eddie Murphy, and uh, Robin Williams, and uh, Sam Kinison, and all these uh, greats uh, that were huge in the 80s. And the one name that... Uh, Heard a lot of them talk about, and I wasn't really that aware of them. Was Rodney Dangerfield, and uh, then the, uh, that album came out uh, in the eighties. I think it was uh, nineteen eighty-three that uh, Rappin' Rodney right. album came out, uh, and there was also another one uh, before that called No Respect. No Respect, but yeah, those albums, man, they they just had me cracking up. And I think the one thing that uh, really defined him was they were just one-liners it wasn't uh you know a big long long and drawn out comedians would tell so all right so i mean you mentioned it he was known for the catchphrase i don't get no respect and i mean now you're big into the music scene and i'm big into the comedy scene so i like to compare the two because we're both entertainers but i mean you know did do you have to have something that's that's your own style and music to stand out because i mean that was his catchphrase i don't get no respect that's what made define him from other comedians but i mean it's yeah. like uh jeff foxworthy with you might be a redneck or you mentioned sam kennison he was known for the scream but i mean is it like that in music do you need something to make you stand out from the other musicians well i mean that's, if you think about uh uh visual looks i mean look at kiss i mean they were just an average rock and roll band when they started and they, uh, whether they were advised or whether they figured it out on their own, uh, they needed a gimmick. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, looking back on, on Rodney's career, I know that uh, uh, he started off writing for comedians and then uh, tried to do the comedy thing himself and uh, it just wasn't working. He needed to, to support his family, so he did some odd jobs. And when he came back into comedy, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was okay, but it, he realized he needed an image. And, and uh, so I think he was, uh, if I remember correctly, I think he was influenced by uh, some character on the Jack Benny show. That, right, uh, yeah, yeah. The self-deprecating humor and... And uh, which is just awesome. I, and Rodney's the best at it. And uh, so, as far as music goes, yeah, you, you need an image. You need something that's going to set you apart from the rest of them, other right. musicians. And uh, you know, in my case, I'm just uh, like every other fat bald guy out there. So <laughs> uh, I need, you know, I think it's the songs that I choose that. Uh, uh, sort of set me apart because I, I try to do songs that uh, I don't hear other people uh, doing and, and my guitar influences uh, in my playing really uh, I try to mix it up with as many of my favorites as possible so I think that does sort of give me a slightly different approach a little bit of uh, edge, right? But I mean, have you ever, I mean, everybody thinks if you tell them you do music or you do comedy, they think, you know, you start right at the top. They don't really, you know, you mentioned Rodney. He was selling aluminum siding during the day and doing stand-up at night because, you know, you, nobody starts at the top. But I mean, have you ever had friends right. think that's all you do for a living is just music? You don't have a regular job? Or? Um, I think, I think the way musicians specifically, I, I can speak about musicians, I think the way that they are... Uh, portrayed in the media or or just the the glamorous life that people think they lead uh, I think yeah they, they just assume when when they hear that I'm a musician that oh that's cool that's all you do and yeah. and oh my god you must uh, they you, think it's a packed must, house every night they don't realize some nights you know some nights you got a packed house other nights you're playing for five drunks you know you don't know yeah, oh yeah if you're if you if you really pay attention and listen to some of your favorite uh, A-listers, as I like to call them, uh, you know, they'll, they'll all tell you the same type of story that I can tell you. That yeah. you, just what you said, you, you played to five people, even though you advertised for months on end that that this particular show was coming up. You might have, you know, a small handful of people, right. and uh, you know, you got to do your best. To some nights you hit a home run, some nights you don't. <laughs> Some nights you hit a home run and get a big crowd, and some nights you don't. Like you said, you got to make the best of it either way, you know? Yep, you got to do your best to capture their attention, grab them by the throat, as they say. <laughs> right, so let's get into it. Let's see. Rodney began his stand-up in Catskill Mountains. Uh, that's northwest of New York City. And, yes. you know, this was back in a time, you know, nowadays, if you want to be a musician or you want to be a comedian, you can go down to the local bar and give it a shot, but... Back in the day when he started, you had to sell everything you own and either move to L.A. or New York to try and make a go out of it because they didn't have, like, open mic nights back then or nothing like that. So it's certainly a right. different era now than it was back then for him, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the great thing about Rodney was he was, he, he became a trendsetter. I mean, he, he, he did a lot of the legwork, as you're saying, that other comedians followed and, you know, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not familiar with a lot of the comedians that came uh, pre-60s, right. you know. 
Um, as I said, that probably the earliest comedian uh, besides Rodney that I really got into who had an early career was Bill Cosby. And um, uh, I, I think a lot of that legwork that they did really set uh, in motion what uh, future comedians had to do. And then as time went on and comedy became... Uh, I mean, I grew up in the 80s, so I remember Comic Relief being huge. Oh, sure. And, um, you know, that's uh, that was something I, I was glued to that. And um, I'm like, man, like, this, this must have been, like, just so easy for them. Like, you tell a couple of jokes, and you're there on the main <laughs> stage, and, you know, obviously it's not like that. Every that night's rocking. different, man. Every crowd's different. Every night's different. It takes years and years to know how to handle any situation on stage. A lot of people think that. It's just, oh, I go up and tell jokes and get a laugh. Well, some nights they're in the yeah. mood. Sometimes they get you. Sometimes they don't. you got to know how to handle that situation. Anything else? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've done this in your career, but... Um, you know, when I started off as a musician, I started off doing the open mics. And, you know, in a sense, as I've learned down the road, that uh, when you do an open mic, you're basically doing a, a rehearsal of a song or a, or a set of songs in front of a live audience. And that is absolutely one of the hardest things you could ever do in your entertainment career. I mean, yeah. you, you might have a small handful of people that just, you know, will grab it by the balls and just do it and not even think about it or get nervous. Right. But, uh, you know, if you're human, <laughs> uh, you, there's going to be some nerves and it's, it's a... It's really tough. Well, starting really out, tough. you got no material, you know. I mean, now I'm sure you got that one song you can go to that you know everybody's going to like. When you're starting out, you don't have that, you know. Now I got those yeah. few jokes I know everybody's going to go to, you know, I can go to, like your safety yeah. net. But starting out, you got nothing. So, I mean, it's it's painful. Yeah, it can be tough. But, you know, it's it could be that one song, or in your case, it could be that one joke that'll catapult you into, uh, you the know. next level, uh, right. Uh, lifetime of success i mean it's it, it could come down to that one moment you know Keep working on uh, it, yeah. so it's uh but yeah rodney i think was a, a real trendsetter and i mean uh to to have the, the the wherewithal to have the mindset to be like okay what i'm doing is not not working necessarily i, I gotta come up with a way to you noticed. Uh, to capture people's attention. And I think something that doesn't ever really get talked about with Rodney, and I think this is very important to bring up, when I mentioned, uh, you know, Kiss earlier, they, they realized, like, okay, they were just a band, like, they weren't doing anything different than what other people were doing. And, as, you know, they came up with that image that... Uh, makeup. Uh, image that they've had, and that really... Catapulted him to success. Sort him out, yeah. Okay. Made him stand out from everybody. Rod, same thing with Rodney. He not only came up with the persona of the death, you know, self-deprecating humor and, you know, uh, how his, he gets no respect, but also what people, people don't talk about a lot is if you watch any video clip of Rodney Dangerfield, 99.9% .9 of the time, he is in a black jacket and a red, a red tie. Red tie became yeah, no. He wasn't even yeah. trying for that. He said that uh, he wore it no, and he just became known for it. He was just too lazy to 
come up with a, a dress scheme. Yeah, he, he wasn't trying for that. It was like people started talking about it, so he just went with it. But it was never intentional that he'd be known for that. It was just something that people invented, and once they started talking about it, he just stuck with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you stick with what works. Yeah, know? there you go. So let's see, he became a regular on late night TV in the 60s and the 70s where he started to gain some notoriety. And uh, the notoriety from being on late night TV developed into a Las Vegas casino act. Um, have you ever been to Vegas? I have. Now, do you I see out there, there? They get what's called <laughs> residency out there, okay? Like, it's, this is why you come to our hotel instead of the other. Like, Chris Angel, yep. he has one hotel where he has res residency. Uh, Penn and Teller, they got one hotel, he have residency. Brad Garrett, he has residency. And they try to get the stars, to, you know, they, they got residency. That would make you go to their hotels, so. Yeah, well, the Beatles Love Show has is, is been out there for, I think, about 12 years now. Something along that line. Yeah, they used uh, to have, what, the impersonators of the Rat Pack there. I forget it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he's, uh, he's out in Vegas, and, um... Well, they all got you know, their shtick like, out there in Vegas. Every casino's got their shtick to bring you in the door. You know, this is our guy. Yep. This way he comes to us. Yep, absolutely. Rodney absolutely. was a master well, of making that happen. Yeah. He certainly had a had a good thing going out there. And uh, you know, you mentioned the late night talk shows. I I did not know this until recently, but uh, he appeared on the Tonight Show what thirty five times. Thirty five so times. Isn't that, yeah. Isn't that a record? Uh, it's got to be damn close. I know Carlin's got the most HBO appearances, and uh, I think Rodney was second. We talked about, I forget who the guy was who had more than him, but I think Rodney was second on most Tonight Show appearances. But he was a regular. I mean, we'd kill to be on it once, you know? I mean, that shows the level he was at, you know? Well, what makes it even more interesting is, I mean, obviously, you know, once he'd been on there a couple times, he, he became a regular after that. Um, but... Uh, you know, something I learned about uh, Johnny Carson specifically uh, as the host of The Tonight Show is that, uh, you know, you had these up-and-coming stand-up comics especially that would come out on stage, they would do their thing for, what, two, three minutes, four minutes maybe? And yeah. then off-screen, the audience on TV never saw this, but apparently Johnny Carson would either give you a thumbs up or he'd wave he'd you wave over the, the couch. couch. Give you the okay then, sign. You get the okay or the wave. You were a made comic back then. Made. The okay sign. And if he gave you the okay sign, you knew you made it. That was it. You were a regular in Vegas. You were headlining in Vegas if you got the okay from Johnny. I mean, nowadays it's cool if you get on, but you're not a made comic if you get on. Back then, you were a made comic if you got on. You were recognized. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh. And, uh, so, you know, he did the Ed Sullivan show, too. I mean, that was just as huge. I mean, that was... Uh, yeah, Ed Sullivan, he used to pull a trick, like, uh, while Ed was talking, he'd pop his head through the uh, the curtain, and the crowd would see him and start clapping, and like, Rodney, come on out and take another bow. He had no idea he was popping his head out. That's why they were clapping, but he got extra stage time by doing that, you know? I didn't know that. That's, that's genius. That's awesome. <laughs> So let's see, he started out doing uh, movies, he did little bits and parts, and I didn't even know this one, in the 1970s he was in a movie called The Projectionist, he had a small role, which I've never seen, yeah. have you seen it or no? No, I have not seen it. Uh, um, then he had his breakout role, awesome. which everybody's never. seen, Caddyshack, I mean, what do you think of Caddyshack? Oh, dude, <laughs> Caddyshack is just classic. I mean, All-time classic. I, I, my, I, I have a buddy that I grew up with. Uh, I grew up in Dover, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, he and I were both in the sports. 
uh, and then as we got into high school and stuff, uh, you know, we kind of not not didn't hang out as often, but like our interests changed. You know, that's when I started getting it, really getting into music and wanting to do that. Uh, is he comes from a line of uh, police uh, and, and fire department personnel, and and uh, but one thing is the two things actually that we always sort of kept uh, in common was we we both loved stand up comedy, and uh, you know we both liked a lot of the same music, and what was really cool was uh, the one joke that we always used to just throw out there the one liner from uh uh caddyshack you know oh, the last time i saw a mouth like that there was a hook in it you know uh-huh. I mean, that was just classic you know? i did that we had old comedy albums me and my friends you'd constantly shoot lines from the albums at each other that's how you responded to each other was great comedy lines oh absolutely absolutely you know uh what was the other one uh uh oh if you wear a hat like that you get a free bowl of soup Oh, looks good on you, though. You wear a hat like that. Oh, looks good on you, yeah. But they had no idea that that was going to be such a hit. I mean, he was relatively unknown back then. I mean, he was known, but not the big, big, you know, movie star he was then. And they hit magic with that somehow. And uh, he didn't think he was doing good. He was telling the director, I'm dying out here. He's like, why you? He's like, the camera people ain't laughing. Like, well, they can't laugh. You'll hear it in the movie, you know. It's like, he didn't think he was doing good. He was killing it, but he didn't know. Oh, yeah. But that no, was followed no. by the movies Easy Money and Back to School. What do you remember about those movies? Um, to be honest with you, Easy Money, the, I, I did not see that um, only because, and this is going to sound weird being a Rodney fan, but I didn't even know about it. Really? Um, I, the only scene that I have seen like on YouTube that, that seems to pop up anytime you put it on is the scene where he's trying to take the picture of the kid on the on the rocking horse, right, that whole yeah. scene. Um, but I do remember seeing Back to School, and that is what exposed me to Sam Kennison. Yeah, that was one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, the fact that Kennison was in it, he's my favorite comic, but I mean, I thought it was just one of his best work. It was a classic, like, summer film in the 80s. Everybody had to see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I remember seeing it, and, uh, you know, I, I loved Rodney's performance in it, but it was great, but that's what exposed me to Sam Kennison. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I was hoping Rodney was going to make more movies. Um, I, I did, <laughs> I remember him in a couple of, uh, Miller Lite, uh, commercials. Yeah, he did some beer commercials, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I think it was, who was it, Bob Euchre, uh, Joe Piscopo, and Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. I remember those Miller Lite commercials, and, uh. Well, you got to do that to keep busy. It's like we said, not every gig's a big gig. you got to do the small ones in between to keep you sharp, you know? Well, absolutely. absolutely. Well, and change things up, too. This is what I was referring to, you know, when you asked me about uh, my music and stuff. It's, okay, yeah, I, I play acoustic guitar, and I sing, and I play harmonica. But it's the songs that I perform that I try to, to change up. It's like, okay... Uh, I'm not going to name specific songs. I don't want to go down that road, but uh, <laughs> there are yeah. songs that I refuse to play because simply because everybody else plays them, and I don't want to be in that. You know what's what I, I want to look. I want to have people look at me like what makes you Sean Fullerton different, and so I'm very 
particular about the songs I choose to perform uh, besides my own originals. But, uh, you know, I, I totally felt as far as the group of stand-up comics that I followed uh, when I started to get into stand-up comedy, um, I thought Rodney was by far so left field in a good way than everyone else. I mean, even Robert Williams. Yeah, different still. You've been different. Robert still. Williams was my favorite stand-up comic, and in a way, still is because he's so spitfire and everything comes from everywhere. But improvise. Like, he was good at improvised comedy. He could make something out of nothing. Good at improvising, exactly. It wasn't all scripted. Right. But Rodney, Rodney had there was a there was a Tonight Show clip I saw after uh, we discussed me doing this show with you. There was a YouTube clip I saw of him on the Tonight Show, and he did his like ten jokes. It was a very short set. Yep. He did like ten jokes, and then he went to the couch. And he kept doing and, jokes. <laughs> you know, and he's, and he's you know, that was called one of the best late night performances of all time. They, they, he, he really knocked it out of the park. They call that was like yeah. the best set ever. Oh yeah, well not just that though. He did the, the ten jokes, and he went and sat down, and he was funnier from the couch. Right. Well, he kept doing his routine. He didn't do the interview. He just kept telling Johnny jokes, and he had Johnny cracking up. He just went with it, you know. Yeah, but it was like Spitfire, and. And they were all different one-liner jokes. That was the best part. That well, it must be easier in music. Like, you know, sometimes you can listen to a song and get so pumped up, you hit rewind and you just listen to it all over again. Where in comedy, you yeah. know, you get the regulars who come in to see you and you crack them up at your routine the first couple of times. By the third and fourth time, they know the jokes, they know the punchline. It's an old joke at that point. So you got to constantly change your material. Where music, you can yeah. just keep playing the same songs over and over. Yeah, it's a different. It's definitely a different uh, vision, a different um, connection. Right. Uh, is my bigger word, but um, yeah, and I, you know what? There, there was. I, I can't see how like comedians, even when they hit the big time, um, just from my own exposure to to uh, watching it since I was you know twelve years old, that. You know, every now and then you will hear a joke repeated, but sometimes it's they come up with yeah. Like people come up with the same premise, yeah. It's like that happens yeah. in comedy where well, two well, people who don't even know each other. And I uh, are huge, 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 huge fans of Monty Python and and Saturday Night Live, especially from the eighties. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, we're constantly quoting. Uh, you know, skits and, and jokes. In fact, my, my brother and I, you know, during this uh, 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 lockdown, you know, we thought, well, we'll bring some laughter. Everyone, a lot of people are bringing music, so my brother and I are bringing laughter. And we just do, like, one skit from Monty Python, and, and we call it Python in Your Face. You sent me one. I did. I watched that. It was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've done three videos of it so far, but it's like, you know, in, in one way, I... I I hear what you're saying, like, you know, after you hear the same joke a few times, it gets old. But in some way, if if they're top-notch jokes, which yeah. Rodney tells, I mean, it, it, it's it's great to remember them. It's almost like, you know, right. you can't get enough of it. Well, locally, know? it's easier. I know Amy Schumer said once she does a comedy special, the jokes she told on that special, she can never tell them again. 
because they're so well known you can't repeat them. Where Ron White, on the other hand, he goes around, he tells old jokes, and you know, you know it's coming, but like you said, you still like to hear it because you know it's such a great joke. But uh, oh yeah, well like Bob Newhart, you know Bob Newhart was a great uh, stand-up comic. A lot of people I don't think knew that, um, but Bob Newhart is another one of my favorite stand-ups and uh no some of the best-selling comedy cd well back on his cassette day but albums will say he had some of the best-selling comedy albums of all time bob newhart yep exactly exactly and the weird part is people of my generation anyway really don't know that well you remember know, the they, newhart show that was our generation you know our parents remember his comedy albums but we remember him from tv yeah sure but i remember him i mean his uh classic routine of uh, you know taking the the woman on a uh, for a driver's test and uh, my buddy and I uh, we were a huge uh, uh, buddy of mine that lives in Westminster uh, we're huge Bob Newhart fans and we went to see him I just, geez, I'm trying to remember now three four years ago and that guy's pushing 80 you know we and he's still out there doing it and yeah. uh uh, he might be even older than 80, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, and he did, you know, nothing new. They were all the old jokes. Right, right. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. We thought, you know, he might have some new material, but the, they were all his old stuff, and, and the place was just roaring. Amazing. Well, you mentioned yeah. Robin Williams earlier. Now, do you you know you ever hear you can get typecast in a role? I mean, Robin only did comedies, and he got typecast in that role. Then, do you remember he did? I forget the name of it. Where he worked at a photo mart, and he uh, had oh, pictures oh. of a family. Then he broke in their house because he wanted to be a part of the family. And he he played like a different role. Oh yeah. I All right. Well, I, I can't remember the name. Of the yeah, I don't either. either. But I mean, <laughs> Rodney took a differential move from what he naturally did, and he appeared in the movie uh, Natural Born Killers. Did you see the movie yes. or no? Uh, I, I've seen the movie. What did you think about his role there? What, what did you think about that role? Well, right, well, it was it was typical Rodney, but it was dark Rodney. It was dark. It, was it wasn't funny. what he normally did. It, yeah. It's it's funny because if you look up, uh, uh, like if you go on Rodney's website or if you go on the Wikipedia page, they talk about him playing like an abusive father. And so you're kind of looking at it like, wow, did he pull a Robert? Did Williams? he play his dad? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, if if you remember the scene, it's like typical Rodney. He's doing these one-liners, but it, there's like a dark edge to it, you know, um, which which was a little different. But I I thought it, I thought it was great. Well, they know? get people like that. I mean, probably that's why they had Rodney for that role because his father was like that, and he'd channel into that and. Even yeah. Woody Harrelson, they said his father was uh, in prison for murder, and they said Woody's line in that movie was, "I never killed anyone who didn't deserve to die." And they said his father actually said that at his trial. I was oh, like, wow. "Yeah, I know." So I mean, I but that's wasn't what aware of that. <laughs> that's why they get you because you tap into that pain, you know. Can definitely bring about your character. You know? Well, you mentioned that you know he had problems growing up with his father. Uh, his father was never around. He only saw him twice a year. And I right. guess you, you call Rodney a mistake because I guess his parents hooked up. They really didn't want to have him. I mean, his mother did raise him, but he said he never, yeah. she never paid much attention to him. And he had a really, really painful childhood. But, I mean, you, you know, I, I got an ex who I can't stand. We never got along. Uh, I'm a victim of parental alienation. And, you know, but I, I use comedy to cope with that. Do you think that Rodney used comedy to cope with his tough childhood? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
if you can, like, I think that's an important part of what, where he came from in developing the character of Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's important to know, I think, first of all, for your listeners, that, you know, Rodney Dangerfield was, according to uh, quotes I've seen from his wife, uh, or his widow, that, uh, you know, he was a very respectful person. He was nothing like the guy you saw on stage. Yeah, uh, few people are. He around, but he was, he was a, a romantic, he was a, a sentimentalist, he was uh, sweet a, guy. a yeah, family he was, man. Oh yeah, he was you known know? as a sweet guy. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that self-deprecating humor, uh, instead of becoming uh, an alcoholic or... Yeah, you learn to laugh at your pain. That's it. You got to laugh at your pain. It either drives you crazy or you learn to laugh about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's where some of the best songs come from. That's where some of the best comedy comes from. So Uh, at at age 15, he started writing jokes for comics that performed in uh, resorts in New York City. Um, Then he struggled financially. Uh, He got fired from being a singing waiter. And then... um, (laughs) Like you I said, the supporters. I love his quote about that. Uh, uh, at the time, I he got fired or something. I was the only one who knew. Yeah, I, that's how I popular he was. He was <laughs> he was the only one who knew he quit. But uh, like yeah. you said, he had a family to support, so he had to go to selling aluminum siding in the fifties, and uh, he quit comedy for a while. But even though he yeah. quit comedy, even while he was doing aluminum siding on his breaks, he'd write down jokes on a paper and throw them in a briefcase and. By the time he, you know, made his comeback, he had a briefcase full of jokes, you know. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, and, um, and that's that's what's so fantastic about about Rodney is like he knew that's what he wanted to do, but he knew the right thing to do was to support the family. Right, right. But, you know, not give up like oh, it'll never happen. Forget it. And you'd be surprised how many people I've. Uh, for, I personally have heard say stuff like that uh, in the music world. Uh, ah, it'll never happen. Forget it. I'm just, you know, we're we're quitting the band or we're, you know, whatever. And it's, you know, if you have it in the back of your head that you can still do it, that's that's a huge step in the right direction. The I ones who stick it out are the ones who make it. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, uh, 1960s, he tried to come back. He worked a day job, did comedy at night. Uh, he started working hotels. He fell into debt. He said, "Debt," he said, for over twenty grand trying to do stand-up comedy. Uh, he couldn't get booked. Uh, he said he made a joke. He took one gig was so far out. He was reviewed by Field and Stream, which I mean, and it's like you said, you do the open mic starting, okay? You don't you don't start at the top. I mean, what, what's the worst gig you remember? You ever play like a really shitty place somewhere that stands out to you? Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's happened, dude. It's I, I played a place in Worcester once during the middle of the show. A lady came in, an old lady with a brown paper bag, and she was trying to sell you fish out of a brown paper bag. That was the classy places I played coming up right there, you know. You, you can't make that up. Yeah, I know, right? It had to happen, you know. For, for me, um, the one that pops into mind was uh, uh, my brother and I used to be in a uh, an acoustic duo called The Basics, and we used to play a place out in Marlboro uh, called The Lazy Dog, and uh, uh, we were uh, the, the, the 
for the evening, and we were about maybe an hour or so into our set. We took a break, and during our break, this uh, girl comes in uh, already hammered, you know, and um, you know she was she was meeting up with some friends, whatever. But you could just tell she was uh, uh, out of it. Anyway, we went up. Uh, after about 15, 20 minutes break, we went back up on stage and we started playing, did a few songs, and the crowd there was, was into it. Everything was cool. We were happy. And all of a sudden, this girl comes up to the stage and he yells out, Megadeth! And remember, we're an acoustic duo, okay? <laughs> I, I play guitar, my brother plays tambourine, and we both sing. And she wanted Megadeth. So, of course, we, we choked our way out of it the way we usually do, but... And she just kept insisting, Megadeth. And when we finally said no, she said, sellouts. And she spilled <laughs> the contents of her purse all over the floor. Oh, and then she locked and then she locked herself in the women's bathroom, which required the police to show up. Oh, and uh, I guess in a funny way, that's probably the best gig I ever had. It would have been uh, interesting to hear an acoustic version of Megadeth anyway, if you pulled that off. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd have to uh, I'd have to figure out a way to do that. <laughs> Practice that one, right? All right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, as we said about Rodney, he decided he needed a character. You know, he had mild success. That was when he started to get some mainstream success when he did the character. He developed a character where nothing goes right. And um, he took the name Rodney Dangerfield, which, as you mentioned, was a character on the Jack Benny radio show. And it was also yeah. a character in the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet TV show. And that character on the show, actually, they signed, he was a singer who was signed with Camp Records, and when he took the name, they thought he was signed with Camp Records. They thought he was the actual character, where he was just using the name, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I was very surprised to see uh, a musician uh, in his line of credits. Uh, well, Rap and Rodney, believe it or not, that was one of the, the top hundred raps of all time they voted it. I mean, here's a oh, comedian yeah. doing a rap as a joke, and it's considered one of the best raps of all time. Right. But, but I was thinking, because I didn't think of it as him being a musician. When I, think, when I hear the word musician, I'm thinking, oh, he plays an instrument, too. Right. You know, uh, but I, I couldn't find anything. But... Uh, but, yeah, as I said earlier, man, that Rap and Rodney record was just unbelievable. I remember uh, my favorite line from the song was, uh, my car broke down, they called AAA. They left the car and towed me away. <laughs> that was my, I remember I, I called the suicide hotline and they put me on hold. I almost cracked up at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, have you ever had, like, a gig that you weren't supposed to get and, like, it just came by accident and and, and it just led to something big? Have anybody ever called you on short notice for a big gig? Hey, somebody cancel that. We need you. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's the thing is that it's hard to remember anything specific right. other than recent years. And of course, uh, you know, you you did that for me twice. Uh, you you booked me to open for uh, uh, Lenny Clark and um, Steve Sweeney, and then right? Steve Sweeney a year later, and uh, those were some some fun, great gigs. Yeah, those are fun uh, nights, yeah, but that's how it is, you know, everybody's got to remember everybody in the business, that's how you oh, keep going, you know? of course. 
So but that's how his big break came. Uh, March 5th, 1967, Ed Sullivan needed a last-minute replacement for an act that canceled on him, and they called up yep. Rodney, who wasn't planned to be on the show, and he was the surprise hit of the show. Out of all the guests, he, he really stole the show. And, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, yeah. I, I remember a buddy of mine, he told me, he was up at the, uh, the Hampton Beach. You know, you know Hampton Beach is a big beach in New Hampshire. They got the casino yep. ballroom there. That's where all the big acts go for comedy. Well, right down the street, they had, like, a little local comedy club. And apparently somebody walked into the local comedy club one night and said, hey, the opening act for George Carlin didn't show up. Do you have any comics here that can open? He just happened to be hanging out there. He got the gig open for Carlin, never expecting it, you know? Wow. Yeah, I know. It's like wow. things like that happen you don't expect, and boom, you launched into stardom, you know? Sure, sure. And you know what? I, I'll, I'll tell you this. One of the amazing things about getting an opportunity like that is it... it without trying to sound like a jerk, it really separates the pros from the wannabes, okay? But, I mean, case in point, I'll, I'll never forget this. I actually learned this from Peter Tork of the Monkees. Uh, he was playing in Westboro. This was back in, like, 1996, and my brother and I went to go see him. And um, the, it's a, it was a small, I think it was, I think it was, place was called the Old Vienna Coffee House. It was in uh, Westboro. And we walk in, and it was literally like this tiny little room uh, with a stage and where the musician would warm up, so to speak, was like this little kitchenette area off on the side. And um, so I remember we were at the table right next to this kitchenette. And I saw Peter Tork. And uh, so all I did was just say, hey, man, looking forward to the show. And uh, we're, we're big fans. And Peter Tork, not uh, not angrily, but just sort of very quickly was like, hey, hey, after the show, okay, after the show. Yeah. And I didn't understand it. I was a little taken aback by it. But getting to meet him after the show, my brother and I were the last ones to actually speak with him at the end of the night. And he was so gracious and, and you know, he actually apologized to me for doing it. Uh, but, he, but he explained that, you know, when you're getting ready to do a show, you've got to focus. Uh, and you've got to focus on what you're going to do and, and what you're about to say or sing or play on the guitar. And so, you know, I, I hope I didn't offend you. I just, I was trying uh, to get in my mindset. And that was a huge lesson for me because I still use that mindset to this day that when I'm about to go on, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to... People like, do that to me a lot. I'll be running a show and they'll be like, hey, can you take a picture of me when I'm up there? I'm like, no, I'm running the show. I kind of got a lot to do here. I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I really don't have time for that. You know, they think I'm right. being a jerk. It's like, you know, you're not on the pressure of making sure this show goes down, I am, you know? Yep, exactly. And that's, uh, you know, like even even when you gave me the opportunity to open for Lenny Clark, I mean, uh, you know, here I am thinking like, God, I'd, I'd like to meet the guy, but I, you know, taking this Peter Tork lesson, I, I know right. he was focusing on what he needed to what do, to do even, though, even though he's going around the room shaking people's hands while I'm up there performing, and I'm like, well, you know, I, maybe when I'm done, I'll get a chance to talk with him for a minute or something. But the coolest thing happened. I just did a uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, 
and uh, uh, you know, I could see him in the back of the room. He gave me a big thumbs up, and I was like, "Oh, cool, he's listening." There you cool. go. Yeah. Well, I remember Sweeney jumped right in and started singing with you, so that was a cool experience yeah, for yeah, you. He did a great Mick Jagger impression. <laughs> there you go. You never know what's going to happen, you know. So, but, but the coolest thing happened with Lenny because I did. I think after that Crosby, Stills, Nash song, I did uh, three or four more songs. And I remember I thank the crowd for listening and uh, really appreciate it and hope you enjoyed the Lenny Clark show. And I remember putting my guitar down and I and I looked up and Lenny Clark was standing right in front of me, in front of the stage. You remember the room. You remember how close yeah, the yeah, stage yeah, right was, yeah. right? So he was right there. And he put his hand down and he shook my hand. He goes, dude, that was effing awesome. He's like, I'm friends with David Crosby. He would have been impressed with that. And I was like, wow. That's a memory that you got for the rest of your life right there, right? Yep, that was huge. That yeah. was absolutely huge. And it was, the, and it was great because being a musician who loves stand-up comedy, it was great that me being a musician impressed him, someone right. of Lenny Clark's stature, right. enough to say that to me and I thought that was really cool. Well, what was you know? cool about him was we had a table set up up in the back, you know, behind the stage for all the comics and I'm like, that's where the comics, you know, sit while you're performing. He's like, no, nah, I'll go in the lounge because he knew if he sat there that everybody was going to focus on him. They wouldn't watch the acts before him and he didn't want to take away from that. So he went in the lounge yeah. until it was time for him to come out. So, you know, he didn't want to draw the attention off the other performers. I thought that was really cool of him. That's very cool and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I remember with the, the Steve Sweeney show, I remember, uh, you know, it was not quite the, the crowd we had expected, but right. he, made, he made the best of it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know? That was midsummer. I, I learned my life. I know, I know better than doing a midsummer show, but I mean, I was trying to make it work. That, I should have waited until fall. That, it would have been better, yeah. That, that, that's not on you, man. It just. It yeah, well, there's it, weddings, it, there's it, graduations, it, vacations, there's too much going on in the summer for. Let's get back to Rodney here. Uh, after his big break on the Ed Sullivan Show, he became a regular on the Ed Sullivan Show as well as the Dean Martin Show and the Tonight Show, as you mentioned, 35 times. Um, 1969, uh, he teamed up with his friend Anthony Bavoen and opened Dangerfield's Comedy Club in New York City, which gave him a home base to perform for, which I mean... Oh, yeah. You, you know, entertainment, you got to travel a lot. Does that ever get to you, all the long travels? I mean, you got to do it, but, I mean, the older you well, get, the tougher it gets, right? It, it, you know what's funny is it doesn't bother me one bit. I actually look forward to it because it's a change of scenery, and, you know, I'm just specifically about my career. Um, you know, I'm, I was a Beatles fan first, rock and roll fan first, uh, and then I became a blues fan, and when I started to read up on these old blues players that would travel cross-country by either hitchhiking or, right. you know, hoboing, right. uh, or, or they would hitch a train. I mean, just for some reason, that, like, became part of the excitement of being a musician. And, uh, but, I, but I know that, uh, getting back to Rodney, the um, him opening that club. I've never been there. Have you been there? I performed there once. It was like did you? Cool. It, it was nerve wracking. I tell you, you know, I mean, when you hit the big time like that, it was you know. All I remember was Sam Kennison walked in there and nobody, and six minutes later he was the hottest comic on the planet. You know, but oh yeah, well that's the thing. Like I, I know that uh, 
you know, uh, I, I think it was very smart of, of Ronnie because he, he, you know, I know he had a, a place in L.A., but he, I think he still had a house in New York City, so he opened up that club and did all his HBO shows. Well, they said it was just to be home to take care of his family because, as you mentioned, he had a family, and, you know, he was always yeah. traveling, and he didn't want to be the person his father was and never be around. He wanted to be around for his kids, so he opened up that club so he could take care of his kids during the day and be right there in town performing, which... Hats off to him. Not a lot of people would have did that, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. But, I mean, think about the careers that were started there. You had, like, Jerry well, Seinfeld. That's my next point. Now, as, as, as good as he was as a comic, this is my most respect for him right here, was out of that club he did the HBO Young Comedian Specials. And, man, he gave back to us. Because every comic of today, he was the guy who gave all the breaks to you. He gave oh, them all the breaks, you know? He gave us so much, not just comedy, but, you know, the, the next generation he brought us. That's Yeah, well, that's, that's what I meant earlier. I didn't word it this way, but that that's really what I meant. It's like, you know, he he got his start early on, in the 1940s right. at least, and, uh, you know, he went through all the trials and tribulations and did a lot of the legwork and then gave back to the up-and-comers by giving them advice giving him a shot on, on the stage. TV? And, uh, you know, yeah, TV. And, and it's just like, you know, now all these comics that are coming up, uh, they, they know what to do now. It's like they, it was all up in the air back then. And, and well, I'll, I'll read the names to you here. Now, the, these are the people he gave his start to, just a handful. Jerry yeah. Seinfeld, Tim Allen, Roseanne Barr, Jeff Foxworthy, Sam Kennison, Bill Hicks, Andrew Dice Clay, Louis Anderson, Dom Herrera, and Bob Saget. All those yeah. comics we wouldn't even know today if it wasn't for Rodney Dangerfield. Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey, that was no. another one. Well, that was later on that he had uh, Jim Carrey, yeah. Right. But, I mean, uh, can you just... No, I mean, have you ever had a musician? Have you ever helped out another musician, like a young up-and-coming one, and just seen the appreciation in him, or...? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Like, um, I, I used to run an open mic, um out in Clinton a number of years back and uh, uh, you know it was it was like whatever you wanted to do originals or covers mm -hmm. and um, you know I, I gave some experience to new people that were older than me who had never been on a stage before and they were like I'm, I'm so nervous and it's like you know that means that you care about what you're about to do right, you know right. and when I told them that their nerves literally, like, didn't wash away, but it, it, it relaxed helped. them big time. I you remember know, a, a really comic, Greg Bogus, told me that. I was so nervous. I think it was my third show I ever did. And I'm like, do you ever get nervous? He's like, I got my routine. I'm going to tell it. They're either going to like it or they're not going to like it, but it ain't going to change. I was like, that's a cool way to deal with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, as a, as a, in my experiences as a musician, um, literally... Even today, I mean, I, I'm 46 years old. I've been doing music professionally for 25 years. Even today, I, I get nervous. This whole quarantine that we're in now uh, has forced a lot of us musicians to do some live streaming shows. Online, so, everybody's going, even comedy. It's, yeah. very, it's very different. A lot of us have said the same thing. It's, it's different in the fact that you're playing to a camera. 
where it, you're used to playing in front of people and getting that automatic reaction of whether they like you or they hate you. Right. But you, you're playing to a camera and there's no reaction. And on top of that, it's it's a live thing. And for some reason, if and I truly believe this, if you care about what you're doing, there's going to be a little bit of nerves there. And for me, the first time I did it a few weeks back, uh, I was very nervous. In fact, if I watch that video... When you stop getting you know, nervous, you don't care about your art anymore. If you're not getting nervous, there's something, you know, you, you don't care about what you're doing anymore, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I totally agree with that. All right, totally let's see. Uh, 1980, he came out with a comedy album, No Respect, which uh, won a Grammy. Uh, the yep. follow-up album that we discussed already was uh, Rappin' Rodney was the follow-up album. And MTV got onto that one big time. Oh, um, yeah. yep. Now, do you think comedy albums, those are a thing of the past? Because now with the internet, you can, they can't make any money off them anymore because everybody's downloading for free. I mean, even in music, you don't, you don't see many comedy CDs anymore, do you? No. They're no, kind of like, I, I think, uh, who was it? Uh, 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 anybody, somebody said that they're more of an advertisement tool now. You put them out for free, and that'll get you to come to a concert, and that's where you make your money. That's why we're paying big money for concerts now, because that's the only place they can make money is live shows, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, well, in regards to the music world, yes, that's, that's definitely been a noticeable change. Um, the record companies are still out there, but, uh, I think the number of independent musicians that are doing it on their own are starting to, if they haven't already, are starting to outnumber uh, the, the power of the music business. But Everything's online now. I mean, see, see, DVDs and CDs are a thing of the past. Everybody wants to download and stream online, you know? Yeah, in fact, I'm going through, uh, I'm going through tons of DVDs right now, so if you want any, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Come see Sean, right? Yeah, yeah. I know for comedy albums, uh, you know, the first one I had, uh, which is probably the first one anyone had, uh, really was Delirious, Eddie Murphy's Delirious. That was and, our uh, generation. Yeah, no, no, that was the first one that went, like, to an insane level. There had been popular comics before that, but that was the first one to start selling out arenas and stuff, you know. You weren't playing comedy yeah. clubs anymore, you are doing arenas now. And Well, I'll, I'll tell you a really, really, really quick funny story. So I remember getting that record. And, um, you know, my mom had, I was like 11, I think, 11 to 12, right around that time. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, my mom took me to Strawberries in Framingham. That was uh, still a thing back then. And um, I, I looked in the comedy section just because I, I was familiar with comics, but I wasn't like a huge fan just yet. And I saw Eddie Murphy, and I remember him from Beverly Hills Cops. I'm like, oh man, I didn't know that they put out a record for him. So I I was like, Mike, can we get this? This is the guy from Beverly Hills Cops. She had no idea what Eddie Murphy's comedy <laughs> style was like. She, she didn't realize all the- How dirty it uh, was? The, the colorful language, right. so to speak. <laughs> so um, she didn't like that. She didn't, she didn't like that we had that record. But my oh, you had to hide those from your parents, absolutely. <laughs> and then we got into Bill Cosby, and I have all of Bill Cosby's records still. And uh, I think, like, I, I loved the difference between uh, Eddie Murphy, who could use, uh, you know, the F word and stuff to his advantage, but I also liked that Bill Cosby could get away with being funny, and I think... Uh, on record, that's only one time that he swore. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing in comedy. If you work clean, you always work. You know, if you work dirty, you can only work certain places. You can you don't get as much work. You do what you love to do, but you don't get as much work. You know. But that's what I loved about Rodney too is that he could be. He was just freaking hilarious with the the one liners and didn't need to swear. Right, right, right. He, yeah. it's, it's who you are. You know, you tap into who you are. If you grew up swearing with your friends, that's what you're gonna portray. If you grew up, you know, talk clean with your friends, that's what you're gonna portray. But. uh he was one of the few uh, artists who actually ran his own. I think, what you, I think what you just said a minute ago is really important too. Is that if you work clean, you can work just about anywhere. If oh, you a lot more work, you know. You know, I grew up loving Sam Kennison. It's like, yeah, I work less, but I do what I love to do. If I had to work clean, I wouldn't even be enjoying what I'm doing. So, wouldn't matter if I work more, you know. If you're not doing what you love to do, what's the matter, you know? Oh, that, well, that's that's obviously huge too. But yeah. you know, the cool thing is about Sam Kennison that. I, I see this, I don't know if, if you've ever thought about this, but I, what I love is that he will swear, but the fact that he used to be a pastor makes it that much funnier. Right, yeah, he went the other direction. Well, it was back, it was a proven thing, I think, with uh, Motley Crue when they put that, remember they had to put uh, parental advisory stickers on the thing? Yes. But it was a thing, I remember on MTV, they said they called it obscenities per minute. And it was a proven thing. The more obscenities permitted in the 80s, your album sales would be higher. I guess people like to listen to people swear back then. I don't, but, but you thought, you know, if your parents told you you couldn't have it, you'd want it twice as bad, you know? So that was an advertisement tool. But this is cool about Rodney. I didn't even know this until I was doing the research about him. He was one of the few mainstream artists. He actually ran his own website, you know? Nowadays, people that big, they got people to do it. But he ran his own website. Yeah, I think that was really cool, and um, I, in fact, uh, one of the Tonight Show appearances uh, that I saw him on, uh, one of the later ones anyway, uh, he uh, he thanked everybody for, for tuning in to Rodney.com, and uh, you know, he's able to tell instantly what people are thinking, or you know, uh, what, he, what he was like voted what the 100 like. most influential people on the web. Now, if you consider how many websites are out there, to be in the top 100 most influential people on the web, that's saying something. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. All right, so I'll say some shows he's been on. You tell me if you've seen any of these shows or not, because some I've seen, some I haven't. He was on The Simpsons, Home Improvement, In Living Color, and Adam Sandler's movie Little Nicky, where he played Lucifer. Have you seen any of those? Um, I did not see Adam Sandler, to be honest with you. I, I really wasn't a fan of his uh, until uh, maybe... Recently, I've gotten to like some of this stuff, but um, as far as The Simpsons go, I, I had completely forgotten he was on that, but yes, I did know we he did was on that. You see that one, yeah? Um, what else? Uh, you know, The Simpsons, almost every podcast I do, almost every podcast I do, the comics about on The Simpsons, they really, they, they hit all the big names, in, any name in comedy. I, I, I had no idea so many comics have been on that show. Yep. Um... One, one thing that I saw that I that uh, I thought was pretty interesting uh, was he tried to develop. Uh, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if he had a hand in developing it, but he became a part anyway of some TV show that uh, NBC was going to pitch called Where's Rodney. Yeah, they didn't pick it up, but yeah, they tried. Well, a lot of things yeah, didn't get picked up, but. So, but it was supposed to be about his teenage life or something like that. Yeah, well, I was a uh, young kid, and whenever the young kid needed advice, Rodney would appear and give him advice as Rodney was the pitch of the idea. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, it, it, check this out, dude. I don't, I don't know if you knew this or not. Hopefully your listeners don't know this, and I'm not repeating anything they don't know. But 
Rodney Dangerfield was rejected for membership in the Motion Picture Academy in 1995. Yeah. Okay. Then the fans and turned off. <laughs> after the fans protested, the Academy reconsidered, but Rodney refused. He to said, "F you now, man. Too late. You could have had me once. Now you ain't have me. Good for Rodney, you know." But yeah, oh, absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think that's fantastic. That you know, such a huge uh, organization, the Motion Picture Academy. You know, it's. Uh, but I get that a lot with comics, too, you know? When I was a young comic starting out, I used to beg people, hey, can you put me in a show? They wouldn't give me the time of day. Now that I'm a powerhouse booker in Central Mass, all the same guys are contacting me. Hey, can you give me a shot? It's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, where, you, where were you yeah. when I was coming up, man, you know? But it feels good to be able to get the payback, you know? Well, sure, absolutely. And you know what? That's the kind of thing that's going to bite them in the ass in the end. And that's why I have never, ever in my career... I've never put down anybody that approached me. Well, you're okay. a smart one then, because these young kids do, I'll tell you. I deal with a lot of that because shit. As, as, much as, as much as I say you want to set an identity for yourself, you want to make a sound for yourself to separate you from other people, at the same time, I'm not above anybody else to you know, not help right. out in some way. But these young and, kids, they get rude about it. They think you owe them something, you know? It's like you I cut know. them a break, and now yeah. they think they're hot shit comic. Well, it, you owe me something now. I don't owe you shit. Yeah, you know, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If, if a kid's going to be rude and disrespectful and, and come out come across with that, uh, you know, millennial yeah, right. exactly, title, exactly. attitude, I'll tell them where to go. Yeah. But, the, you know, someone that um, I can see is... Uh, you know, definitely passionate about doing music and definitely uh, passionate about going forward and doing something with their career. I have no problem. Yeah, please you know, and thank you will take a lot further than, you know, you owe me and I'm entitled, which most of these kids, you know. But they think, yeah. you know what, if they won't give me a break, I'll attack them. That'll get me notoriety by attacking them, you know, because they're a known comic. Well, if you won't give me a break, I'll attack them, and that'll get me known, you know. Let me, let me ask you a question. It's just, uh, Switch roles here for a minute. Um, as a comic, yeah. have you ever gone through the uh, experiences like I have, and I have many stories about this. But uh, have you ever gone through the experience of, uh, oh, we want to, we we'd love to have you do this gig. Um, you're not going to get paid for it, but it'll be great experience. Oh yeah, well, it'll be great exposure. That's what I get a lot. Great exposure yeah. for you, but we're uh, yeah, but. Nobody works right. for free. The only time I make the exception of, I mean, benefit shows where if somebody's, yeah. you know, doing to raise money for cancer, I don't mind donating my time because it's going to a good cause. But, I mean, if they're making money off the show and they think I'm performing for free, you got anything coming, you know? Right, right, right. Well, you know what? I, I, I kind of look at it two different ways, okay? I, I completely agree with you as far as benefits. And so I play the Relay for Life right. event in Gardner all the time, every year. Uh, when they've had music. Uh, the last couple of years, they haven't had music. Well, but, a quick uh, point, you know, if they're not going to pay you, all that means is they're not going to put any money into the show and they're not going to, you know, advertise it hard. That's all that means if they don't want to pay you, you know? Yeah, that's that's something that, uh, that, that could be a whole other podcast. If they but, rest their money, if they rest their money, they're going to put some effort into that show because now they got money on the line, you know? Yeah, we, we go through... Yeah, we could go a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Musicians go through a lot of uh, 
stuff like that. I've, I've been through a lot of stuff like that, and especially uh, when the advertising is very one-sided. You know, like right. I, I do email. You do your part, and they don't do theirs. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, on, on their end, the marquee just says, live music tonight. And yeah. it's like, okay. You have Adam Pank posters the day of the show, like all the good that's doing here. Put it out on the billboard the day of the show. It's like, well, what good's that for me, you know? I've, I've, I've even had it worse. I've had it where they didn't put up any But at all, yeah, all. right, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've delivered flyers to the venue. Oh, yeah, and they still don't <laughs> hang them. Well, I've had that happen plenty of times, yeah. So, getting back to Rodney, one other thing I wanted to, to mention real quick, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, I mentioned earlier about the, uh, the black jacket and the red tie, and... Um, I love that they they put it up at the Smithsonian Institute. Yeah, it's in there with the Fonz's leather jackets in there, Rodney's red tie and jackets in there, you know, shirt white ties in there. I mean, that's quite the yeah, honor. I, have you ever been to the Smithsonian? I've never been there, but have you ever been? Oh, yeah. Yep, I, I was there. Jeez. Uh, what are some of the things you remember from there? What are the big things? Uh, let's see. Archie Bunker's uh, <laughs> from All in the Family. Archie Bunker's uh, what again? I sneezed. What's that? What was it, Archie Bunker's what? I sneezed, I didn't hear you. Archie Bunker's chair. Oh, his chair, okay, yeah. Yeah, his chair, um, Fonzie's jacket. jacket. I mean, I've heard that was in there. Uh, huh? Yep, uh, Muhammad Ali's boxing gloves okay. when, he, uh, when he beat George Foreman and became the world champ. That's uh, quite the class of people to be in with right there, you know? It's only the best uh, of the yeah. best that are in there. But. Absolutely. What I, what I love about Rodney, though, is uh, he got his, uh, his white shirt, his red tie and a and his black jacket on display, and uh, when he handed the shirt to the museum's curator, uh, Rodney said, "I have a feeling you're going to get used this to Clinton Winterberg's plane." Playing the plane, yeah. He was always like, "But you're a comedian. You're always looking for a joke, no matter what situation you want to you want to make fun of it." I mean, but that's what gets you remembered. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. you mentioned this one earlier. Uh, he gave Jim Carrey a break. Uh, he signed him to open for him in Vegas. Uh, he actually toured with him for two years after he caught Jim Carrey at the Comedy Store in L.A. So can you imagine touring with Rodney for two years and being his opening act? I mean, that's just quite the give back right there. What a... Well, not... I mean, for two years, too. And, you know, anybody who, who knows Jim Carrey, his stand-up routine was just... You know, take Robin Williams and multiply yeah. it by ten. It was and different. It was different. Different cells, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite Jim Carrey joke that I ever saw, uh, being a harmonica player, I, I have to appreciate this. He was on The Tonight Show, and uh, he said he wanted to do his impression of Wiley Coyote after a bad fall. And so Johnny Carson's like, uh, okay. Uh, you know, not sure what to make of it. And he says, here's Jim Carrey doing Wiley Coyote after a bad fall. And Jim Carrey takes out a harmonica, puts it in his mouth, Puts his hands by his side and literally just walked across the stage, up and down, up and down, while blowing in and out of the harmonica. And it was it was so funny. It was exactly the the sound that you would hear from right, those right. All the sound was, effects. You know, was great. So I guess he had a great career. Then in two thousand and one, he had a mild heart attack backstage at the Tonight Show. Uh, funny yep. part of that, he was openly he was a pot smoker, and he said while well, he was in the hospital, the nurses were complaining he was smoking pot in the hospital room, but. He was Rodney, so they look the other way. Um, yep. He, uh, he had brain surgery to clear up uh, his bloodstream for heart valve operation. 
the operation didn't go so good. He was in a coma for several weeks, and then October 5th, 2004, he died at UCLA Medical Center. Uh, you being a fan of Rodney, you wanted to talk about him. What do you think his legacy is? What would you want other people to know about him? Uh, if you have not heard Rodney Dangerfield do a, a stand-up routine, you are missing out on some of the best laughs you will ever hear. If you can appreciate quick, one-liner, de self-deprecating humor, uh, Rodney's your guy. It's, uh, there's no one better. Um, I think it was, um, trying to remember who said it. I think it might have been Jay Leno who said that Rodney, hands down, is the best stand-up comic that ever lived. And if you think about it, if you watch some of your favorites, your favorite being Sam Kinison, mine being Robin Williams, but I mean, Rodney has such an impact on all of these guys that he helped produce, really. Um, you can see a little bit in, uh, in their routines of how he helped them out. And I just, uh, I mean, talk about juggernaut of not only experience but information that helped all these comedians uh, that people appreciate today it all started with rodney he was the godfather he was the godfather of our generation you know i mean our parents godfather would have been groucho marx or lucille ball the kids of today probably be chris rock or bill burr but of our generation rodney was the godfather that brought us all uh one point I want to make, and we've talked about a lot about how music and coming up and comedy, it's a tough business. And the, the biggest thing, and you said some people tuck tail and they run and they stop doing it, sell the gear and quit. Other people stick it out. Those are the ones who make it. Uh, Rodney, when he was a young comic, he actually turned on Carson's Tonight Show and Carson did one of Rodney's jokes. And Rodney actually wrote a letter to Johnny Carson saying, hey, you got a joke thief on your staff that's stealing my jokes. And Johnny got this, and he's like, who the hell is this no-name son of a bitch talking down to me, Johnny Carson? And he wouldn't put him on the Tonight Show forever and ever, because that pissed him off. Then just out of a, you know, coincidence, Johnny uh, happened into a club that Rodney was performing that night. And he bumped into Rodney, and Rodney took him off to the side, and he said, hey, I was wrong about that, I want to apologize. Which, he wasn't wrong, they did steal his joke, but still, it or not know your place, you don't talk down to Johnny Carson, and after he apologized, you know, that's what finally broke him into the Tonight Show and his big thing, so don't ever give up, you know? Really? I was, I was not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have him fun forever until he apologized, and even though he was right, they did steal the joke, you know. That happened to me, I had, I did a local television show, The Comedy Kitchen, and I had Jackie the Joke Man Martling on, and I was trying to explain to him, this camera does this, this guy, he's like, what, what's my camera, this one, let's do it, I got it, I got it. And we did it, you know, and then after I sent it to him, and he's like, well, geez, I'm only looking at one camera. Why didn't you tell me? And I like, I almost felt like saying I tried to fucking tell you you wouldn't listen, you know. But I, I said, no, he's Jackie the Joke Man. I'm a local comic, and I shut my mouth. And that's what the kids of today don't understand, you know. You don't talk down to somebody who's ahead of you in the business, even if you're right, man. And I thought that was a good lesson. Yeah, yeah,
uh, Ashburnham, I should say. Yeah. And, um, and I went, I got tickets and I went to go see him. Well, my middle name is Livingston, okay? So I, after the show, I went up, I just shook his hand and I said, you know, it was a great show. My significant other at the time was the one who said, you know, oh, Sean's middle name is Livingston. And I remember, this has nothing to do with music, but I just remember learning that lesson you just talked about from this exchange. He looked at me with his kind of like a side glance, like he didn't believe and he goes, really? And I went, yeah. And he said, you're telling me that your middle name is Livingston. And I went, yes it is. And he just looked at me for a minute and he says, are you bullshitting me? And I said, no, I'm not bullshitting you. And I started to get irritated, but then I, but then I thought, no, I'm not gonna do this. Not gonna do. And so in a roundabout way, that I kind of learned that lesson. Like, you know what? Let him think what he wants. Right. If I'm not, you know. And um, so anyway, it was cool. It was it was a good lesson. It was a good exchange. And uh, I, I, I really appreciated meeting him, uh, even though that the, <laughs> the exchange at the end was a little ugly. But it was Didn't good. go the it way you planned, right? Yeah, yeah. So, All right, anyway. so I got the fans chimed in here. You want to take a few fan questions here real quick? Sure. Let's go through it quick. Uh, Juan Bautista Jimenez writes in, Ladybugs is an all-time favorite of mine. Did you ever see Ladybugs? No, I did not. I didn't see that one either. I remember he coached the girls' soccer team. I remember a little bit about it, but it wasn't one that I saw. Uh, Steve Gamlin writes in, uh, Girls, this is Lou. Lou, this is girls. That was from one of his comedy specials there, I remember, where... He had some big hairy fat guy there, and <laughs> you know, he was making fun of him. Lou, this is girls like he'd never seen a girl before, but that was his genius <laughs> of it, I guess. Let's see, Steve Gamlin, he writes in again, uh, the sad one. Uh, once spent most of a day in Barnes & Noble's reading his autobiography. Uh, his life, making people laugh, came from such a pain past. Uh, brilliant, brilliant writer who for years literally wrote material on scraps of papers and tucked them away. Well, we talked about that, where he wrote jokes as an aluminum siding, and he had a tough childhood. Uh, yep, yep. Let's see. But I, think, but I think, like, some of my favorite stuff that he did was, you know, involving his wife. Right. Well, you know. Because uh, you can relate to it. Everybody's in a bad relationship who hasn't, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, to turn that into your business. I mean, it's just, uh, I thought that was great. That was a um, stick, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, well, I, I love the, um, the the joke I first heard it on the Tonight Show clip. It was, uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, do, we, know, we don't have sex. Uh, smoking, smoking's real bad, you know. If uh, my, my wife and I agreed, uh, you know, after sex, we'd have a cigarette after sex. Uh, some of the effect of, uh, I've been the same pack now since 1975. <laughs> what worries me is my wife is up to three packs a day. You know. <laughs> <laughs> my sex to have it. All right, Rodney Worth writes in, no relation to me. Uh, seen Easy Money when I was 13 simply because it was filmed in my hometown, but I ended up laughing my ass off through the whole movie. Uh, let's see, Mario Sanchez, Caddyshack is genius. James Enberg, here's the one. He, he put in the link for the Triple Indy. You remember the Triple Indy? No. That was the dive from back to school that he did, the, the dive off of three diving boards. That's what it was oh, called, yeah, the yeah, triple yeah, indie. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
That was a classic all-time right there. Uh, Tommy Dell, the time he brought uh, the U.S. Sailors from the back of the line outside to the front row and thanked us all for our service. So apparently Tommy was in the, the Navy and he pulled all the Sailors and put them in the front row. That's a cool move. That's, that's very cool. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. The No Respect CD from Mike Gorkowitz. Uh, he was good at Natural Born Killers. That was from Rick Sinat. Uh, let's see. Uh, Natural Born Killers. A lot of them like the Natural Born Killers. Rob Ferrezzi. Uh, Dan Thomas, back to school. Call me when you have no class. I remember that was the line for the lady there. You want to go out on a date? I'm busy. I got class. Well, call me when you got no class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tommy <laughs> Seymour, Caddyshack, uh, the party scene, uh, when he went in on everyone and called Ted Knight Captain Hook. Uh, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Eddie LeClaire, I was a kid uh, at PS212. He used to come by once a week with a variety of small animals and give us a lesson about the diets, habits, behaviors, etc. He really gave me love. For nature and all her glory. All right, so apparently he did a thing for that's, kids. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Apparently that's before he's popular. Shows that, that, that shows that other side of Rodney that that you know. You didn't that's see, right? Yeah. No. Everybody, everybody thinks he's just a big goofball stand-up comic, but uh, according to uh, his wife, he was nothing like that. He was, uh, you know, romantic. I get that a lot. I know. Everybody or, says to me, "Wow, you seem like such a." I had a girl even, and she asked me to work for her. I said, I can't. I do a podcast on Sundays. And she's like, what are you doing about him? I'm like, I do stand-up comedy. She's like, wow, you seem like a straightforward guy. You don't seem like you do stand-up comedy. Well, you hit the stage, everything changes, man, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Never know what people do. All right, we end off every podcast with trivia. I'm going to ask you three trivia questions about Rodney Dangerfield. We'll see how you do. I'll tell you, nobody ever does good on trivia. Nobody's ever gone three for three. Couple people got two right. Most people get one or none right, but it's informative, so we'll go from there. You ready? Sounds good. All right, trivia one. Rodney Dangerfield is his stage name. What was his actual name? Jacob Rodney Cohen. That's right. In 19, he changed it to Jack Roy. You're one for one. All right. Uh, number two, he appeared in what pop star of the 80s video that was not his own? Oh, jeez. Uh... No, it was Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. Ah, I remember that after I read it. I remember him from that video at the end there. Yeah. So, all right. You're yeah, one for two. Well, Here's the tiebreaker. In 2007, right. the fans paid tribute to him by using this art form. What did the fans of Rodney, what art form did they use to pay tribute to him in 2007? Uh, if I remember correctly, I think, didn't they put up a... Uh, uh, That's right. He was the most requested tattoo in 2007, right? So everybody's getting tattoos of Rodney on him. I mean, that says something. If somebody's going to put something on their body for the rest of your life, have a tattoo of you, that's really saying something, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. did better than I thought. You did two or three in trivia. Oh, my God. Hey, it can't be all that bad. There you go. <laughs> all right, Sean, you have fun. Thanks a lot for being on. I appreciate it, man. Real quick, uh, you want to plug anything you're doing in music so the fans know where to check you out or what you're up to? 
Yeah, well, all I can really say is, uh, you know, I got my Facebook page uh, on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I'll be doing about a half hour, 45 minutes of uh, of music, and um, that's really all I've got. Ain't got much going on right now with the virus. All right, Sean Fullerton. Check him out on Facebook. Check his uh, Facebook Live, and you'll see some great music. Thanks for being on. We'll catch you soon, buddy. Thank you so much, Dennis. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Sean Fullerton on a legendary comedian, Rodney Dangerfield, and uh, what an icon, you know. I mean, you can hit, you know, great status. You can hit big-time status, you know. If you're a legend in the comedy world, there's only a handful, you know, that get in there with the Carlins and the Priors and the Cosbys and, you know, uh, the Steve Martins and Dangerfield. He was in my top five. I love Kennison. He was in the next wave. But, I mean, I'd have never known Kennison if Dangerfield didn't bring us to him. So, I mean, who, who are your godfathers of comedy? I mean... You'd have to put him right there in that bunch. Check out his work. You've seen his work. We've all seen Rodney's work. And, uh, man, if you can just scratch what that guy's done. And as I said, as, as great a comic as he was, and Sean made a good point, you get some of the best laughs of your life. I thought he did so much more by giving back. It's so important to give back in this business. He brought us the next generation. And somebody's calling me. Sean's calling back. He wants to know how he did. But we're not done yet, so we're not going to answer that right now. All right. Well, I'm going to answer it here, and I'll bid you guys a farewell. Laughter is the best medicine. Like Rodney, don't ever keep up and keep laughing. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.